chapter 3, um, towards the very end of the New Testament. Might be as easy to go to Revelation and then work your way back to your, the left a little bit. Um, hey, so as we jump in, um, you know, we, we tend to just kind of work our way through books of Scripture over the course of, of weeks or months, however long it takes us. And so we've been in First John now um, for most of 2019, and we'll uh, be in this still for a few more weeks. Um, so First John, remember, is a letter written from the Apostle John. Um, it's a circular letter, so it was meant to be passed around and passed along to multiple churches. It's why there's not a specific recipient named. Um, John was an elder at the church in Ephesus, and he's writing to churches around that area who are dealing with uh, false teachers, those who are claiming to have new knowledge, a new message, and are looking to distract and to take away from Jesus, some who are denying his divinity, some who are de- denying his humanity, but all of whom are, are making Jesus not sufficient. And so John now is writing letters to these churches looking ultimately to give them assurance of salvation and, and that in salvation they have etern- eternal life. Like he's looking to pastor, to care for these churches, to make sure that they know that, that what they have heard is true and that there are ways that they can begin to look at their own beliefs and their own life to see, do I have salvation? Do I actually know Jesus? And his letter is not linear in the way that we tend to think of, hey, so here's argument one, and here's argument two, and here's argument three, and here's argument four. I hope that's convinced you. What he's doing throughout this letter is he's giving us some criteria or some test um, and, and helping us apply these tests to our lives to see whether we have reason to be assured of our salvation and of our faith. And the three tests that he's given us are, are this. It's a, it's a moral test. Do we obey Jesus? There's a social test. Do we love others? And there's a doctrinal test. Do we believe the right things? And so what he's done in chapters 1 and 2 is he's kind of laid out those three tests and now in, in chapter 3, he's gone back to, and last week we looked at the moral test again um, and our levels of obedience. This morning, he is coming back to the social test and how we, what the church should look like in its love for one another. So we're going to read beginning in verse 11 of 1 John 3, and we'll be looking at the second application of the second test, our love for one another. So let's pick up in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide, whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given. So one of John's uh, favorite kind of devices that he loves to use, whether it's in the Gospel of John or in the letters that we see here in First, Second, and Third John, is he loves to draw um, people into two groups, right? And, and he makes distinctions between, hey, you're either in the light or you're in the dark. You either have life or you have death. He, he, he makes sure that we understand there's two camps, and you belong in one of them or the other. And there's not really, there's not an in-between. There's not a, ah, I'm not sure. You either are in Christ or you're in the evil one, right? You're either, right, an adopted son or daughter of the king, or you're an enemy of the king. There's no neutral ground here. And so what he's going to do here in chapter 3 is he's going to kind of compare and contrast the world, okay, and its behavior with the church and what its behavior should look like. He's going to show us some distinct differences. And so let's look back at verse 11 for just a second. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. All right? So here's what's going on. The, the false teachers that have emerged and have pulled out of the churches have been saying, we have new understanding, we have new knowledge, we have new experience, and they're looking to pull people out of the church. That, that they feel superior, that they're known actually for being um, arrogant and unloving. And what John is trying to, sh- to show is, look, these guys who are trying to lead you astray, who are trying to distract you, he said they're actually not loving at all. They're arrogant, and they're superior, and they're claiming to have a new message. But he says in verse 11 that the church, we have the same message. It's the one that we heard from the beginning, meaning we've heard it from God consistently, and that Jesus has reiterated it, right? That we, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say throughout the Gospels? You know, Matthew 22 and Luke 10, these different places. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like that we've been told we're to love God and we're to love people, right? In John 13, at the Last Supper, when asked, he says this in chapter, chapter 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another, and by this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so what John is doing is he's wanting to show, look, the world is going to behave a certain way. And the church is going to behave a certain way. And you're either in the church or you are in the world. And he's looking to give you assurance to know based on your love for people. And so here's where he's going to start. He's going to start with the world. Verse 12. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. So if you're not familiar with Cain, right? Cain is the son of, of Adam and Eve. We go back to Genesis 4. His brother is Abel. And uh, if we, I'm going to read these verses to us quickly. In chapter 4, this is verse 3. In the course of time, so in the end of 2, it says, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground, meaning a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this ends in chapter 4 with Cain killing his brother Abel, right? That he, he murders him. And so what John is doing is he is setting Cain up to be kind of like the, the prototype for the world. He's like, the world is going to follow after the model of Cain. And he's going to set Jesus up, and he's like, and the church is going to follow after the model of Jesus. And so he's going to contrast Cain and Jesus here. And he's like, you're, you're following one of them or the other one. What we know is that, that look, Cain did not offer um, an offering that pleased the Lord, right? And, and commentators have argued for thousands of years as to what exactly about it um, didn't please the Lord. Was it that it was done right out of, out of duty, rather out of delight? Was it that he didn't give his best? Was it, what, what, was his, what was his motivation? What we see in Hebrews 11 is this, talking about Abel. This is verse 4 of chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks, right? And so, was it that it was faith, like a trust of the Lord? Um, you know, some commentators would argue that it was about the fact that he offered, like, livestock, that it was, the blood was part of it. But in the end, what we see, right, is that, that Cain offered a sacrifice that was not accepted and didn't please the Lord. And a really strong response to that would be to kill your brother, right? Who was not the one who rejected his offering. And so what we see is that, that Cain, when not acting in a righteous manner, because of jealousy, because of, of, of these emotions that he is feeling, ends up killing his brother, whose offering was faithful and righteous. And so what we begin to see is that John is letting us see the identity a little bit of the world. Look at what he says of Cain in verse 12. He was of the evil one. Right? He's, he's wanting us to see, he's told us last week that we are children of God. And remember that we are born not children of God. We are born children of wrath. Right? So we all have God as Father, but other than that, then we are not all God's children. The scripture would teach, right, that we are children of wrath, that we are born under death because of sin. And so we are marked by this. And so look at verse 13. 
So it says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So he's going to set up, look, that the world that Cain is full of hate. Verse 14, we know that we've passed out of death and into life, right? It's a reminder that before we have life, before we have salvation, that we are in death. Whoever does not love abides, remains in death. Verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, just a quick aside there. We know um, because Jesus asked for his murderers to be forgiven, right? He prays for their forgiveness, that it's not that if you murder, um, that you're like, that, that's the unfor- unforgivable sin, that you can't ever come back from that. that. That God's grace far outruns our sin. But what he's saying is that when we are full of hate, right, the love of God is not in us. When we're murdering, when we're hating, that the love of God is not in us. And so this morning, I want us to be reminded that we were all born into death. That Ephesians would say in chapter 2 that we're all born as, as children of wrath, that we follow the course of this world, that we follow the evil one. We saw that God told Adam and Eve, look, if you disobey me in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, right, then death will come. Like that, that is the consequence for rebellion, is that death would enter the world. Romans 5 tells us that that death reigns because of the fall, because of sin entering the world. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, again, not only are we children of wrath, right, but he says that we're just, we're far off. We're not with God. So what that tells us is that something has to occur. And so if you are of the world, then your identity is that you belong to the evil one. And so what we've done is we've blurred the lines of this in our culture, right? And we're like, I don't worship Satan, right? And like that's a whole other category because I don't worship Satan that I couldn't be of Satan. And what John is saying, look, good people can be of the evil one if they're not trusting Jesus. The the, the two categories are we are either of the world, which means we are of Satan, or we are of Jesus and we are adopted as sons and daughters of of the king. So last week he tells us that we're children of God. Like that our, our motivation for obedience is not, hey, go get salvation. It's that you belong to him. That you are called sons and daughters of the king. Look at verse 16. By this, we, the church, we know love. That he laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And listen then to verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. That the, the, the world is going to be marked by hate. The world is going to be marked by selfishness, by self-centeredness, right? And that the church is going to be marked by love and self-sacrifice. That we are to love one another. And so who you are as children of God right, is your identity. It's, it's your initial motivation that we are empowered because we're given the Spirit to live out some really hard teachings, right? Because to say you can't hate, right, is hard because people do stuff that we hate, and they do it over and over again, and so we hate them, and that's like just kind of the normal course of things, and yet when Jesus says, hey, man, when, when you hate, right, that's murder in your heart. Like, that's a big deal that we have to love one another. 
And so we are called to action. And what John is doing here is he's like, so look, I'm going to lay out some action steps, some things that you should be doing if you're going to look like Jesus, which means that you belong to Jesus. And you're going to do these things not to gain salvation, but to reveal that you already have it. Not to earn it, but to show that you have it. And so verse 14, that we have passed from death to life. Now listen, there, it's often in the Bible Belt where we'll see folks who, you know, Jesus rescues at a really early age. It's what I pray for my children, right? That before they go and live this like wild and rampant life of sin, right? Before they have regrets and consequences and all of those things, that I hope that Jesus just says, hey, I'm better than that, and, and, and that he rescues them. That's my heart, my prayer for them. And for many of you, that's your story, right? That salvation came to you at a very young age. And so you didn't have this like huge life swing away from sin. And so you'll almost hear people like downplay it, like, ah, you know, just always known Jesus, always loved him. You know, didn't walk away from a lot of big sin. John is saying it, well, it was bigger than you thought. Because you were a child of wrath. And by your nature, you were going to follow the course of this world and the evil one. And if you were not yet, like, marked by, like, heinous sin, it, it was coming. Right? That you were going to live for yourself. And even in your religion or your, your goodness, it would have been about you and not about him. Right? That salvation is a big deal because it changes our allegiance from the evil one and ourselves to the king. And it changes our nature from children of wrath to sons and daughters of the king. And it changes the trajectory of our life from one following the course of this world to following the king of all creation. Right? And so maybe that happens before you sin and sin big, but the trajectory of your life was set and now it's changed. And so if Jesus saves you or your children young, that is as much of a miracle, right? It's him saving you out of rampant sin at 42. And we need to, to, to celebrate it because we have left death and we have come into life. That we have left darkness and come into light. That we have left hate and come into love. So here's, here's what he's telling us about Cain. And so if hate equals murder, right? Hate for someone, it kind of just starts with thoughts, right? Frustration, aggravation. And then you begin to, at least, you start to kind of just, I want harm to befall them. I don't want to bring the harm. But if my boss would, right? If their spouse would, you know, if fate would, right? We just kind of start to want harm. And we would kind of rejoice a little bit if it came. We know better than to like, publicly celebrate it, right? But we would be okay if bad things began to happen to them. And then we begin to seek out ways to make it happen until we begin to actively work against them. We have activity against them, right? We're, we're watching Cain, right? You don't just decide on a whim, think I'm going to kill my brother today, right? That's a really big jump. That there was jealousy, there was animosity. There, there was these emotions of envy towards him that are stirring. They're being fueled. And then when God says, oh, 
I love your sacrifice, Abel. That now it's not just I want harm to befall him, that I'm willing to make active steps to do it. And he puts his hands to his brother and kills him. And, and in taking a life, he, you, you rob someone of their greatest possession, which is life, right? The fact that you're still breathing. So hate is the start of a process that says, I don't want you alive. Right? And it feels like a big jump from hate to murder, but it's the start of a process that says, I want bad to come to you. I'm willing to do bad to you. I'm now doing bad to you and potentially eventually the loss of life. Where love, right, seeks the good, right? You, you want good for someone. Not only do you want it for them, that you begin to seek ways to bring good into their life. And then you begin to have activity that would do that. And so what we see is that as Cain kills his brother, that Jesus steps in and gives his life on behalf of ours. And so we see that the greatest form of love is self-sacrifice. It is giving a life for someone else to live. And so Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I love you. I hope you figure it out. That he says, I love you, and then he takes active steps. And so this morning, the fact is, is some of you do not believe that God loves you. Right? You think maybe he puts up with you, maybe he tolerates you, maybe he's going to let you into heaven, but he doesn't love me. He loves you, right? Like that every step towards the cross at Calvary was a step of saying, I love you because I'm going to give my life, I'm going to give myself for you. Like that my life will be lost so that your life will be gained. And if that is just mere religiosity this morning, if that's just like, yeah, 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 I know that, then you have not, you don't know that. Because God sent his son to die in the place of his enemies, of rebels against him, to rescue them. He loves you, and he proved it at the cross. That he exchanged one life for the other. And so where, where Cain was willing to take a life, Jesus is willing to give life. Right, that he's beginning to just show us, look, so are you following in the nature of Cain or are you following in the nature of Jesus? Now listen, one of our, our, our biggest issues is sometimes as we see things like that and we're like, we affirm them mentally and we're just like, okay, I know that now. This is not something just to admire. It's not something just to be recognized, but it's to be walked in. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, what Peter says here. For to this you have been called, this is verse 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, right? So you, you should know it, you should recognize it, so that you might follow action, verbs, in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He says, walk, follow in it. So this morning we are either following in the footsteps of the course of this world which is death 
and it is darkness, and it is hate. Or you are following in the footsteps of Jesus, which there is light and love and life and self-sacrifice. So let's look at some practical ways that this plays itself out. You love your enemies, right? One of those, one of those phrases in Scripture that we throw out easily, um, probably too easily, but that we love our enemies. That means we love people who don't like us, that hate us, right? And so do we return hate for hate, or do we weep and pray and pursue those who are our enemies, Right? Do we understand that they are merely walking the course of this life, that they are still in death, right? Remaining in death. Though our perspective isn't that they're, they're just out to get us, which they might be, right? But that their identity is of the evil one. And so if I know that, then I'm praying for the Lord to open their eyes and to, to reveal himself and to, to rescue them. Remember, Paul told us as we studied 1 Corinthians in the fall, right, that as the church, we don't look at the world and cast judgment upon it, right? Like, that we trust that God is the judge, that he is the one that will make things right, that he's the one who will restore. And if they stand apart from Christ, they will be judged one day, but that is not our job, right? We judge sin within the church. We do not judge sin without the church for those who do not have the Spirit, which means this morning, right, that if you have enemies, if you have people that you hate, right, it is an opportunity to obey Jesus as you trust him that he is good, that you trust him that he is judge, right, that he's going to make things right, right, that, that sin does not go unpunished. So our sin this morning did not go unpunished. It was punished at the cross on our behalf. And it will, one of two things will happen. You will stand in judgment for your sin and be condemned and separated from God forever in hell. Or Jesus died for it at the cross. But in either way, it is dealt with and it is punished. And so we receive mercy, grace, undeserved. And if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, it means we give grace and mercy undeserved as well. Because we trust that God is judge and that he will make things right. So look, we're, we're going to move from this um, little caveat here quicker than we should because we could spend weeks on what it looks like to love our enemies. Right? But what we want to see here is that, that if we are full of hate this morning for a certain type of person, for a certain political bent, for a certain ethnicity, a certain religion... That we are, we are walking after Cain, not after Jesus. The second is this. Maybe some of you are going, okay, love enemies. Uh, but what about our brothers and sisters in the church? Because I don't like some of them, right? That's where your mind's going, right? You're going, I don't like some of these church people, right? Your people say that all the time, like, I don't like church people. And we are reminded that John does not say, right, like everyone, like one another. He does say to love one another. Because like, like is kind of this like basic kind of like, 
It's almost like going on a first date, and you just know real quick if there's chemistry, right, if, if, if I like you or if I would want this to go anywhere, um, where love is a, a choice. You decide to love someone. You don't just feel love. You decide to do things that show love. And so it's why Scripture doesn't say, hey, make sure you like everyone. There may be people in the church who are your brother and sister in Christ who you will spend eternity with, and your personalities just don't jive real well. And John, Paul, Jesus, all of them just say, but love them. You make active steps to love them. You pray for them. You carry their burden, right? It's why there's four dozen one another statements in Scripture. He gives us action steps. Here's the things that you do, whether you like them or not, you love them this way. You pray for them, right? You, let, you carry their burden for them. You do these things on their behalf. That you take action steps to love them. Because listen, Cain and Jesus are this extreme contrast. Cain killed his brother, he hated his brother and killed him. Jesus loved his enemies, which we're called to do, to the point that he was willing to self-sacrifice, to die on their behalf, which is our behalf, by the way, because we were his enemies. Right? So Cain kills the one he is supposed to love, and Jesus loves those who have rebelled and hated him. Listen, the world is going to call us to be self-centered, to ask the question often, what about me? I've got to make sure I get mine. And that Jesus is calling us to be self-sacrificing, to love others, to put action steps to it as Jesus pursued his enemies, those who are opposed to him. One of the ways we do this is we, the church is we, we're supposed to be together. In Acts 2, it tells us, right, the church gathered often praying and breaking bread and listening to the apostles' teaching, and people were being added to their number daily. In Acts 4, we see the same thing. We see the, the, the four dozen one another statements. In Hebrew, it says, don't forsake meeting together. Church, that we are meant, right, to be together, to learn how to love one another, even when sometimes that love is easier said than done. And why? Why? Because we're going to need each other because the world is going to hate us. And it's going to be opposed to us. And it's going to call us arrogant and judgmental and bigots. Listen, the world does not hate good people. Right? The world has a definition for good people. Right? Like it, it likes good people who do good things. Right? Jesus was not murdered because he was good. He was murdered because he said he was God. And when he said that he was God... And that he belonged to them and was willing to say that there's two groups, those who are opposed to God and those who are with God. They're like, your righteousness offends me and we're going to kill you. Had he stuck to just feeding people and healing people and had not said, I'm God, they would not have killed him. The world does not mind you giving money, right? The world does not mind you being kind. The world does not mind you being good. The world does mind the fact that you say that you belong to Jesus and that he's the only way. And at that point, they're going to hate you because you're an arrogant bigot, right, in their opinion. Because they're following after Cain, not after Jesus. And so he's like, you're going to need one another. Those who love and trust and follow Jesus, you're going to need each other. 
Because the world is not going to get it, and they're not going to define you in the same way that you want to be defined. So listen, most of us are not going to be called to literally lay down your physical life for someone. Maybe, some, but that has not been the norm for human history that all believers do. And so he goes on in verse 17. So if you have the world's goods and you see your brother or sister in need and you close your heart against him, how, would, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That we're willing to lay down the things that we have in life, self-sacrificing on behalf of someone else. That we're not stingy. He's saying this, like, if you understand that you have been given everything in Christ, you've been given access to God, you've been given everything in Him, how are you going to go be stingy now with some lesser thing that someone else needs? He's like, if you want to be known as belonging to the Lord, you're not asking what about me. You're giving abundantly and freely. You're serving and you're humble and you're self-sacrificing and you're not hoarding but you were giving because you were trusting the one who has already rescued you and has given you more than you could ever imagine. So church, when we say we want to be generous, it's because we have received all generosity. And so we, one of the ways we want to do this here in just a practical way, we don't want to use people. The church has been known for far too long for using people up. If you're serving, you're of use to me. If you're not serving, go away. Right? And so there's been this mindset of church staff or small group leaders or whatever, you know, nursery workers. Hey, you're a pack mule. And as long as you'll keep carrying that load, we'll let you stay around. And the second you drop it, be gone. We don't don't want that. Right? We want to believe that if if we are called to pursue Jesus, there's some things we should do. But you know what? Life is hard and seasons change and people get tired and they need a break. And so if you've been with us very long, you know some of our gospel community leaders have done that. They've gone from leading to hosting or from hosting to not doing it. Or, right? like, it changes and it ebbs and flows. You know, and, and they continue to be loved and respected and seen in the same light. Because it's not about what we do, it's about who we are in Christ. And so we want to love people regardless, right, of how, how tired they are in the moment. It changes the way we do benevolence, right? Look, sometimes people just need money because life has, has hit them in a way and they need something to get them out, right? And what it is is a $120 light bill, right? Like that's, that's literally the need, But we don't want to just say, hey, here's money. We also don't want to say, we're not going to give money. We're going to pray for you, right? We want to do both. And so what benevolence looks like is an invitation to relationship. To say, yeah, the 120, you need it, and we want to do that. But there's so much more available. You think money is it? There's more. Because there is relationship. There There is relationship with us and, and guess what? We're not even the best thing. It's you get Jesus, right? And we're going to do this together. And we see people's circumstances change. 
And so often what it looks like up here, someone comes by and we're like, hey, how can we help the practical physical need? We want to do that. We want to be generous. But before you take it, we want to invite you into something even better than that. And whether you say yes or no, we're still going to take care of your need. But just know, man, there's more available. Right? That we want to be for our brothers and sisters. So we don't use people. We take care of practical needs. We invite them to more. And then, and then just a caution for us as we finish this up this morning. That we would not be so focused on having right knowledge and right understanding that we become oblivious to people. Right? Because if we're not careful, we're so concerned with having the right knowledge and passing the, right, the test that's never going to come, and we, we miss everybody around us and their pain, and their hurt, their struggle. Church, we are called to have right knowledge. We are. Right understanding of the character of God alongside the fact that we physically, practically, literally, not just in word, but in deed, love one another. We do both. It's not one or the other. It's simultaneous that our right belief leads to right action because we are reminded that we are sons and daughters of the King And so this morning, your life is demonstrating to whom you belong. Look, you're not gaining something by the way you're living. You're revealing, though, whether you are following after Cain, who belonged to the evil one, or whether you're following after Jesus and he's given you life. He's made you a son or a daughter. So final thing here. Look, there's so much we can unpack um, from this, this chapter But here's where assurance comes in, right? He's talked about all of this action and how we love one another. Listen to why. Look at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. By what? By the fact that we love, actually. That's how we reassure our hearts. Look at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, which that happens, right? You have moments where you need reassurance, Because your sin comes before you. And he says, look, for when your heart condemns you, just know God is greater than your heart. He knows everything. So the stuff that you're able to draw up and know that you're sinning against God, there's more there. Right? You've hidden nothing. So when those moments happen and you feel far, like you need assurance, listen, what what do we tell ourselves? Man, I believe in Jesus. I trust him. How do I know? Because I'm loving my brothers and sisters. Right? And if you're going, I don't do that, then John is saying, then you need to consider whether you know him or not, whether you trust him, whether you follow him. But sometimes when your heart is feeling condemned and you look and say, but look, I love, and I'm pursuing, and I'm praying, and I'm doing these things, then your heart is being reminded, that's one of the ways I know that I love and follow Jesus, even when my heart wants to confuse me. So he says, part of it is going to be that we obey Jesus. That's how we have assurance. But part of it is going to be that we love the church. We love one another. That we have assurance that the world doesn't do that. The world says, what about me? And the church says, what about one another? Verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us 
by the Spirit whom he has given us. Church, he has set our identity in place. He has given us his Spirit to empower us. And then he calls us to obey and to love one another. Right? If you love to obey God, if you obey God, if you love people that you don't even like all the ways, that's evidence that Jesus is transforming you. Right? It's not that you love everyone equally today, but that you're loving more and more, that he is transforming you. Only the love of God can do that. Right? So we're not nitpicking, oh, that was an unloving thing. You don't know Jesus, right? This is what are we characterized by, right? What are we growing in? So listen, part of our heart either assuring us or condemning us this morning is our willingness to ask the Spirit to reveal that. Do I get by on knowledge and on truth and on words, right, and I don't actually love or would my life demonstrate that I know Jesus? So what we're going to do for just a moment, um, we're just going to ask you to remain seated. The band will come up. Is just to, to ask that question. Like, would my life demonstrate that I trust Jesus and that I love people? And ask the Spirit to reveal it. Where he's going to give you assurance and confirmation in areas where he would say, like, yeah, you do. But this thing right here wouldn't look like that. Or maybe he might tell you this morning for the first time, you just hear him call your name and say, you don't, but I want you to. Like that he's wooing you even this morning. Um, After a couple moments, the band will begin to play. We will sing to our king. There'll be some men and women in the back of the room if you need someone to talk with or pray with. Be glad for you to do that. But this is a moment for us to trust, right? Like, this isn't just a service and a thing we check off the box. The Spirit of God is present with us which means that he is able to pierce hearts and work in our thoughts and direct us to the king. Would we trust that in these moments? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we confess that we need you this morning. So, Father, if you have brought elements where we need to confess, Lord, would we do that in these these moments?